Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and this is Things That Make You Go Hmm. This is your podcast to help you make the most of the wisdom and experience that comes with getting that little bit older. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. Today I'm here again with Marie Alessi. Welcome, Marie. Hey, Karen. I'm so happy to be back. I know. We had a really good conversation last time. Your husband died and you've since dedicated your life to helping other people move through grief. You have a movement called Loving Life After Loss and you offer hope, healing and happiness to the world when people expect it the least and need it the most. I'm struggling with my words today. (laughs) And your healing retreats, we need to talk about the healing retreats, but we'll do that later. One of the things we covered last time, and we had a conversation, oh my goodness, we need to talk about this more in depth, were the expectations around grief for women in particular, and Mm. the image of the grieving widow and what she's supposed to be like and then we were talking before just before we came on about the expectation for the grieving widower the man it's different isn't it so let's talk about that let's talk about you tell me what are the general expectations for the woman when she loses a partner I think I actually looked at that when I did my TEDx talk about redefining our image of a widow I actually googled the origin of the word widow and I was really just quite appalled to be honest I don't have any better word for that that it was about emptiness so it's basically when a woman loses her husband there's the complete emptiness she's lost there's like literally no no hope for her and unfortunately no matter how much we have evolved and advanced in our development that's what I wanted to say there is still this really old-fashioned expectation when a man loses his wife oh, he's just going to move on and find a new one as soon as possible because there needs somebody, needs to be somebody in his life to look after the kids, to look after the cooking. It's really that old-fashioned. No matter how much we want to or don't want to hear it, it is that old-fashioned. When a woman loses her husband, there's usually, oh, your life is over. And she's almost expected to not move on and to not remarry and to basically stay alone for the rest of her life. It's very unspoken expectations, but you can feel it in people's reactions when when you do move forward. And I don't even want to say get over it or move on with love or whatever. When you do move forward, it's a natural progression. And I was in a relationship after Rob died and I could feel that a lot of people looked at me, isn't that too early? Isn't that too soon? Should you really be doing this? And I always thought to myself, um, if my heart wasn't ready for it, I wouldn't meet this person. And I was absolutely convinced with that. You would not develop feeling for a person if you are not ready for it. And that goes for any situation in life, no matter if you are widowed or not, no matter if you're divorced or not, no matter what age you are, if your heart's not ready, you're not going to develop these feelings. And that's how simple it is. You can't control those feelings. It just happens. So let's go into that in a bit more detail, because if I think about the grieving widow, it's so ingrained. I'm just trying to think of a my daughter's reading one of the Harry Potter books at the moment. And she said, Mum, a lot of the 
things that we think are magical, oh my goodness, these are Hogwarts, it's so special, they're actually just English. Don't realise unless you're not English, because I'm English, yeah. it's just that's the way it is. And it's that kind of thing. It's not even an expectation, it goes beyond that. It's in our genes, it's in our DNA. Yeah. This is yeah. what you do when you're a grieving widow. This is how you... If you don't mind, Karen, I want to put this back to you. Before you met me, what did you think of? What image did you have in your mind when you thought of a widow? Interestingly enough, when I think of a widow, I actually think of my dad, funnily Mm. enough, because he's the person closest to me who Mm. has lost somebody. Mm -hmm. And my mum died years ago, over 18 Mm. years ago now. And my dad has not, he's had relationships, but Mm. he has never entered into a solid relationship because in his world, he doesn't want to sully my mum's memory. It's so sweet. And Mm. he places, that's so important to him. And he judges other people from if they loved their Mm. wife, husband or whatever, they wouldn't want to move on. You only have one See, that's exactly it. Mm. That's exactly it. Let's just go right there. And I love that you brought that up. I love that I asked you because this is what a lot of people think if you love the person. So I want to give you another example because I deal with that on an almost daily basis in my movement, Loving Love After Loss. I don't only have widow or widowers in a group. There's also people who've lost a child. And when somebody loses a child and they move on to have another child, depending on situation, age, etc., of course. But let's say that woman is young enough to have another child with the same husband, with a different husband, doesn't matter whatsoever. We are just talking about this woman having had this incredible loss and then moving on to have another child. Has anyone, anyone in their right mind ever questioned that she stopped loving that child that passed because she moved on to have another child? Never. There's no judgment. There's always encouragement. There's always, thank goodness, this is so beautiful that you went on to have another child. Nobody ever thinks that she's replacing the child. Ever. It's not even questioned. It's not even thought about or talked about. Yet people do feel, wow, it's beautiful that she can feel some of that emptiness. It's not replacing that child that has passed. Yet she's definitely feeling some of that emptiness. The exact same thing happens when you are widowed and then you meet somebody else. You don't stop loving your late husband. The love that you had for your late husband doesn't change whatsoever. Do you feel some of the loneliness, the emptiness? Absolutely. But you're not replacing your late husband with a new partner. It's not about replacing. And when you talk about that in terms of a relationship from a widow perspective, people don't understand it. When you talk about it from a parent perspective, everyone gets it. There's no difference. Love is love. Love is simple. Love will never replace. Love will never stop. And you can love so many people in your life and still not love another person less just because you've got a new best friend in your life or a new child. When I fell pregnant with Flynn, I want to share this story. When I had Flynn and fell pregnant with Jed, sorry, with my second son, I remember sitting in a doctor's office 
and I did shared care. So I did half of the my checkups at the hospital and half of the checkups with our GP. And she's so lovely, our GP. And I said to her, I want to ask you a question, the same question twice, once as a doctor and once as a mom. And I was almost in tears when I asked her that because I was so emotional. I was pregnant. I was highly emotional. And I said, I don't know how to say this, but I'm so scared that I could not love this second child as much as I love Flynn so much. I'm really worried about not being able to love this child. That Like I've never experienced a love like this. This is so pure. This is so beautiful. And she looked at me and she smiled and she said, you know what? Just the fact what you just shared with me, how much you love your first son already shows me your capacity for love and already tells me that there's no way that you couldn't love your other child just as much. And she was right. The love is maybe different. You, we always have different relationships to our children, but we don't love one more or less. And there might be situations where that could come up. But do you know what I mean? You just love your children unconditionally. There is no more beautiful or deeper love than you have for your children. And it's the same thing when you lose your husband or your wife. The way that you love that partner just shows your capacity for love. Your capacity for love never ends. It doesn't stop there. It's still there. So I hope that sheds a bit more light on that because it's really people always understand it from the parent perspective but never from the widow perspective. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here. My brain's sure. on a little tangent. Absolutely. Go for it. Because I think the difference possibly where people come from is with a child you've got no choice almost but you choose your partner so there's a different set of expectations and responsibilities that go please explain with the child you have no choice I really don't know what you mean by that oh just people could say that loving your child is part of the survival of the species thing it's to make Mm. it's hormonal it's to protect the child and to ensure continuation of the species that's why we love our children and we've got to love our children but our partner Mm. is a choice we choose Yeah, I'm not a big fan of got to love. We get to love them. And I see the exact same thing for our partners. We get to love them. And I see from a very different perspective. I see from a spiritual level. And from a spiritual level, I believe that we choose both. We choose our partner. We choose to have children with them. And I choose to love them. That is just something where I understand what you mean. There's something inbuilt, the DNA, the connection that you have because they are part of you. But even more so important and more so beautiful is the love when you do choose that for a partner. So it's actually then the complete polar opposite from how people react. It becomes even more so special when you choose it and not have to if we take it from that perspective. I I don't really like the have to perspective or got to perspective. If we do choose that perspective, then... That would even be more so special if we choose someone to love them because we have this. And I know that my my previous partner, the one I met after, Rob, used to say to me, you've got this enormous capacity for love. And that was so beautiful for me to hear that because I could feel that. And to me, it was so normal. I didn't realize that for other people from the outside, it was not normal. But I don't know, I just have a lot of love to give. and I really stood by my choice it was the right thing for me at the time I think that choice is what most people don't 
uh, experience. We don't, ex- we, it's like you fall in love. It's, uh, and I had a really great conversation with a psychologist a few months about this. He said, it's mm-hmm. like we lose all responsibility. We can't help it. We're not in control. We fall mm. in love. We don't choose. And then mm. we stay there. So yeah. like our whole culture and vocabulary is about losing ourselves, mm. not about yeah, falling, responsibility losing, yeah, and yeah, choice. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's possibly where it comes from because if you fall in love, you mm. can't help it. Mm. But we don't choose to keep doing that because we fell in love and then maybe we mm. fell out of love. So not our yeah. fault. But even there, I want to put a different spin of it because a lot of people say, oh, you can't help it. And I know it's hard and it's very challenging, but you can help it. As in, I know that when I stepped out of that relationship, I chose to, and it was not because I had fallen out of love at all. It was actually really painful. It was for different reasons that affected my family, my children, and I had to take that choice to walk away from a relationship despite being deeply in love. And that was a choice that I made that was really hard to adjust to. It took me a long time to really fall out of love, basically. And I got there in the end, but it took me a really long time and it was not easy, but it was a choice. And I think that we do have a choice to really work on that and to reason with ourselves and to really soak up the reason why we walk away. And sometimes we do have to make decisions like that because when you fall in love when you're 17, it's just you. When you fall in love when you're mum, in my case, there was three of us. So it had to be right for all of us and it wasn't. So that's why I walked away, not because I had fallen out of love. And that was a huge difference. It made it really challenging for me, but even more so important. And I think there is a choice. It's not an easy one, though. What I want to get to the bottom of here and what we're doing in this conversation is really looking or analysing our expectations, that those ingrained beliefs as to how mm-hmm. it should be how mm-hmm. how we should respond and react and it's really great yeah. because just that aspect of I'm choosing mm. I choose to do this just takes the responsibility get puts the power back in your hands doesn't it yes oh absolutely I love that you say that it is so beautiful and that's exactly what it is choice is empowering that simple we so often overcomplicate things. We so often, you know, what you said, the language, we really need to watch our language, how we make things harder or easier for us. And despite me having practiced and preached and lived that for so many years now, I still have moments where I get picked up from my coach about my language. Like last night, we had a session together and just, I got to pick you up on your language. I'm like, oh my God, thank you. I can't believe I just said that. And it's really good. It's an ongoing using to yeah, develop this skill to actually make choices that are working for you, that are healthy for you, that are beautiful for you, that help you in your healing and your growth and everything. So, yeah. Talk me through this whole process from an aspect of choosing because when your partner's just died, male or female, yeah, you are in the middle of all these emotions and all this grief. And, yeah. and that's not something you want to choose. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, and I'm so grateful that you say that actually because 
this is what I get from so many people in my group. So a lot of times I hear this, I didn't choose for my husband to die. And I always have that tiny little disclaimer for all the spiritual people listening into this conversation. From a spiritual perspective, I truly believe that we do choose that. I really do believe in soul contracts. I do believe that we choose our contracts that we want to fulfill here. But let's that let's just put that completely aside for those who are like really earthy and just want to hear the facts right here on earth and go with their perspective of I did not choose that. Absolutely, I agree with you. However, you can always choose how you respond to it, how you respond to what you've been presented, you know, what life has an offer for you. It is our choice how we react to it, how we respond to it. And I'm going to use one super generic example. I'm not sure if I shared it with you in our last interview or not, but even if I find it really important enough, even if I was to repeat this right now, there's this wonderful example that I hear all the time, in particular from parents. There's moms in the group that say to me, I just had to. I had to move on. I had to get out of bed because of my kids. I had to. And there's always this, I had to for my kids. And I always look at them and said, it's actually not true. You chose to for your kids. And I want to tell you why. Because often, uh, in most cases, they don't realize that they chose that because it happens on a subconscious basis. They just see how to. That's their language in their head. I had to because of my kids. Yet they chose to. Because when you look at other cases, there are cases where they don't get out of bed. And unfortunately, there are cases where they escape into drugs or alcohol or depression. And unfortunately, even sometimes suicide. So the fact that you are here right now telling me I had to, I put it on the huge quotation marks here, I had to because of my kids, tells me that some part of you chose to get out of bed, show up, be there for your kids and show them how it's done. Because by doing that, you are a shining example for your kids. And unfortunately, there are other moms who don't do that. So don't ever tell me you had to. You chose to. And I want you to own that. I always tell them that. I want you to own that because there is empowerment in owning your choices. And I'm so proud of you that you did that. I'm so happy for you that you did that. And I'm so freaking glad for your kids that you chose to show up for them. Yeah, just that acknowledgement, like even if we mm. look back on our lives without yeah. grief or any any huge thing, how mm. many times do we say, I had to do it? I had to, yeah. And don't we avoid, like, isn't that a fabulous way of avoiding acknowledging ourselves and mm. feeling good about ourselves because we yeah. had to do it. We didn't choose. Avoiding responsibility sometimes. Absolutely, like yeah. Responsibility. I really love that. It's there's yeah, there's really ability in how you respond, and I love that. Yeah. yeah. So let's go back because we veered off topic, which is normal <laughs> for me. <laughs> but let's talk about the differences in the and I'm going on to this because I can imagine that when you're going through the grieving process, we are most of us um, me. Self-critical. <laughs> we, most of us, me, <laughs> I love it. 
we will judge our actions. I judge my actions and compare yeah. them to somebody who I might want to be like and inevitably yeah. find myself wanting. So in this yeah. situation where you've already got all of these emotions going on anyway, mm. that criticism, that self-criticism mm-hmm. and judgment can mm. be huge, can't it? It would be yeah. so difficult to go, okay, choose yeah. to get out of bed this morning. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, absolutely. the person you're of looking course. at would be, they'd be happy for their kids mm. and they'd allow themselves to be sad. And, and I'm talking about how I'd be thinking about yeah. you in the same mm. situation. She got through it and she was so good and I'm just here wallowing in my misery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how I, do we move forwards from that? Yeah. I feel that a lot of people would have probably or still do look at me and think, oh, for her, it's easy. She's so happy. And it wasn't easy whatsoever. It really wasn't. I consider myself still as one of the lucky ones that I was lucky enough that I had conversations with Rob about the what if. And uh, when Rob and I had these conversations, they were absolute theory. Neither of us thought that anything would ever happen especially not that early. Rob was 45 in the prime of his life. Nobody would have thought that this would happen. He was so healthy. He was fit. He was a surfer. And, and then he had a brain aneurysm and he was gone in an instant. Nobody expected that. Yet we did have these conversations and these conversations were triggered by him driving past a fatal accident where a young dad has tragically lost his life in a car accident. And we were just really shaken by that, although we didn't know this person, but we were really shaken by the idea of that because we were young parents. Our kids were little. So we sat in bed and we had this conversation, what would you do? Something must ever happen to me. And we had two or three of those conversations or a couple of conversations over the years, and they always ended in something like, I would want you to take the boys and create the happiest life possible. And I always say that's what love is. Love is simple. Love just wants you to be happy. And we really, truly wanted that for each other. And as I said, when you talk about these things, it's theory. And I urge everyone to have these conversations because they are really important to have and beautiful. And most people dread those conversations, but they're actually beautiful to talk about that. Yet when it actually happened, this conversation became my North Star. It was not a flick to switch and the next day I was happy solution at all. Yet it became a North Star. I knew that's where I had to go. So every decision from there on in, every simple, tiny and huge decision from there on in was based on, is this going to make us happier or not? That easy. That simple. And I remember, I'm going to pick one super um also very important generic example because a lot of people when they do have to and eventually everybody will have to do this when we do have to plan a funeral no matter what age you will be I really hope that it's going to be an old age for you then there is this question one question do you want a condolences line and I instantly went no is this going to make us happier definitely not and can you imagine standing there with hundreds of people lined up with your two young kids by your side and they all line up to do two things hug you and say my condolences is that going to make you happy or is that hard it's not going to make us happy that's for sure I experienced it when I was 20 and my dad passed hundreds of people lining up to hug me and say my condolences 
I was ready to punch someone. I kid you not, and I'm not a violent person. I felt such emptiness. I just wanted to run away. I really hated it. And I don't use the word hate very often. And I knew that I didn't want that for my kids. Every decision became based on, is that going to make us happier or not? So I said, no, please, I don't want a condolences line. Please spare my kids. Don't do that to them. And I'm so grateful that I stood up for that decision because I knew what it felt like being on the receiving end. So no, it wasn't simple. It wasn't easy for me, but the decisions were simple, if that makes sense. It was always like, is that going to make us happy or not? Simple. But was it easy? No, not at all. It is freaking hard. I'm not going to lie. So happiness became my North Star. And I escaped into that happiness because I needed it to heal, if that makes sense. So for a lot of people, that might feel very superficial or very much, oh my God, she wasn't grieving her husband or she was too happy or how can you be happy when it was all based on choices that I made in his honor because of the love and connection we had and because I would have wanted him to do the exact same thing. And I'm actually having goosebumps just thinking about that now, but it's, yeah. I completely understand what you're saying because it's one of the things I always in most areas of my life, I have a plan B. Something doesn't mm. go right and I don't resp- respond or react very well. I was going to mm. do what you did then and put two words together. So I don't react yeah. very well. <laughs> I have a think about it. And okay, if somebody does or says that, what else can I say apart from that natural yeah. reaction? Because if yeah. you don't think about how would I react prior to it happening, you've got no choice other than Mm. to just be a constant reaction to it. And if you're already dealing with all these emotions, there is going to be no option for you but to react in a particular way because you can't think your way through it in that when you're actually dealing with all those emotions. But having our partner die is not something we want to think about or going bankrupt or dropping dead at the supermarket or something. It's not something we want to actually think our way through or envision. But having that, I can so clearly see how having that make the kids and our lives as happy as possible. Mm. I can so see how that just guided you through everything. It is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it was really my only guide that I had. And honestly, anyone listening to this right now, wouldn't you want the exact same for your kids? Regardless of their age. Mine are all grown up now. but Absolutely, regardless of their age. doesn't matter if they're 50 or 3. So what did I ask you? I've forgotten. Thinking your way through things. How do you bring up what? Mm, because of this whole thing of how you've dealt with it could be inspiration mm. for people to go, okay, yeah, maybe it is something we talk about. But what would you say to people about that? How do you start approaching it with your partner? Because mm. it's a bit gory over a glass of wine. Now, by the way, dear, <laughs> what are we going to do if one of us died? Yet, It's exactly that how you started. Honestly, like anyone listening to this right now and you are sitting down with your partner with a glass of wine or a cup of tea or whatever you you fancy tonight, you could literally start a conversation like that. Hey, babe, I heard this amazing podcast today. It really triggered me. And I listened to this lady. She lost her husband. Her boys were only 10 and 8. I can't even imagine what we would do if. And that's how you start a conversation because that's how we started a conversation. Rob coming home from work and saying, babe, you wouldn't believe it. I drove past this fatal accident. It really rocked me to the core. 
And that's how we started the conversation. I already knew that something had happened because Rob called me and said, I'm going to be home like two hours late because the way he had to drive home, anybody who knows the Heathcote Road in uh, near Sydney knows when that road is closed, you have to drive all the way around through the thickest traffic. And doing that in peak hour traffic usually added about two hours to your trip. So when he called me, Heathcote Road is closed. We both already knew it was a fatal accident because they usually only close it for something like really major and it was major and a beautiful side story bittersweet I have to say but the widow of that man who died that day is now in my group Mm -hmm. I'm having goosebumps just thinking about it I don't even know who she is but somebody told me that when I shared that story one day she's oh my god I know the widow of that guy who passed and she's actually in your group and I'm like really oh my god that gave me that gave me goosebumps because her husband's passing was my trigger to talk to Rob about the what if that eventually fast forward a few years led me to starting that group that is now helping her heal isn't that amazing this is just such a full circle moment yeah it just gives me I don't know it just gives me so much gratitude when I hear those stories where I'm like I'm so grateful that I can help with the way I addressed it. And, okay, we distracted a few times now. I really want to come back to this question that you asked me. How do you actually address it? How do you address the thinking, the day-to-day choices? Like where do you even start when you are in the thickness of your grief? I'm going to share one little exercise that I love sharing, and it's actually also shared in this TEDx talk. We mentioned the redefining our image of a widow. And I call it the color orange. It's a little game that I play with people when they don't know where to start because it starts with tiny steps. It starts with choosing your focus with little shifts in our lives. And I get people to focus on the color orange for one entire day. Believe me, you can choose your favorite color. Mine is orange, so go with that. And you just check how many things, how many items you can find in one day. I promise you'll find at least around 100 because, you know, me just looking around my office right now, I actually got a sample pot of orange because I just painted my walls. I've got my beautiful feature wall in orange. I've got flowers in orange. I've got a ball in orange. I've got a pillow. My my rug is orange. I've got orange dots on the jacket. I'm wearing orange nail polish, orange. So, like, when you like a color, you'll find it everywhere. And that's just whatever you like, you'll see. If you want to choose a new car, you'll see the car everywhere. So let's just go with your favorite color. You easily find 100 items a day. So what that does is it trains your brain to focus on finding what you like. And the nice little bonus side effect is that the more you focus on what you want, the less you see and feel of what you don't want. So it's a double whammy what you do with your brain here. And the next day I always ask them to replace the looking for the color that they fancy to look for the emotion that they want the most, that they miss the most. And I'm going to go again with a very generic one, which is love. We all want to be loved. We all miss love the most when we lose somebody so close to us. I get people to really focus on where they can see and find love around them. That might be just a simple smile from a checkout chick when you go to the supermarket. That might be people hugging on the street. That might be a mom walking with her boy hand in hand on the street. That might be a movie that you watch. That might be just a stranger smiling at you. There there is so much love around us, yet 
we are just pain of losing somebody so close to you can be extremely overwhelming and it feels like it takes over everything it becomes like this black hole that swallows everything like the shadow that darkens everything yet when we look for the light when we look for that tiny little light a tiny little even just a match can light up an entire room that is dark and that's the sort of things that I start with just the practicing to train your brain to focus on the things that you do want to see and it becomes a habit like you I'm going to ask you to stop looking for the color orange the next day and you'll still be finding so many things in orange because your brain was so trained to do that just for that one day so imagine you keep doing that day in day out focus on the things that you want to see my north star became happiness so I looked for anything and everything that could make my boys happy, that could make me happy. I'm going to share one last example here. Rob and I had planned to, because it's a huge example actually, Rob and I had planned to travel around the world in 2019. The boys hadn't known this, but we wanted to take them out of school for an entire year, homeschool them and travel around the world. I still have the entire itinerary stuck in images on my wardrobe. I've never taken it down. And uh, we wanted to go through South America, travel through Europe and then back through Asia and have an entire endless summer basically for a year. And when Rob died, I had two choices. I could go now this trip, I can't do it anymore, which is probably true. I couldn't do this trip and I'd go to South, South America with two young boys on my own. But instead I thought, hey, what can I do? What can I do on my own? I knew there's no way I could homeschool two boys during my grief, traveling on my own. So that was a no-go. Instead, I was like, okay, what can I do? So I chose to take the boys out for a couple of weeks and I took them on a trip around the world for two months. So there was no homeschooling. It was in the summer holidays. And I chose destinations that I could easily travel with them on my own. So we went to the Maldives and we went to the Canary Islands and we still went through Europe and came through Asia on the way home. And uh, we had a very short summer. I shouldn't say short because other people were back at school and back at work. We traveled for two months instead of 12 months. And it was amazing. It was one of the best things we could do because we created happy new memories that we still get back to all the time now. We loved that trip and we still talk about it now. Talk to me about, because you, we were, the other thing we were talking about just before we started was the yeah. fact that yesterday you made a big decision and mm. it ties in with everything you've been saying it, it, one of the things that really struck me was you gave yourself permission mm. to do something that other people might or you might have judged as okay not appropriate talk to me yeah. about it the decision that I've made, it's funny that you put me on a spot here and I don't mind at all because I haven't really announced that with anyone yet. Not even my business manager knows this yet, but I will share this with you here. The decision that I have made was I did a bit of an audit in my business. I've been running this business for three and a half years now and I have gone through my third burnout now. So every time I go through a burnout, I do a very clear audit on something's got to give, what am I doing too much of, what actually lights me up. And I went through this process again yesterday because I've just come out of my, or I'm on my way out 
I think that decision yesterday really catapulted me out of it of my third burnout. And so it, it feels like there's this annual ritual of around October, November, I get into this compassion fatigue, which is very counterproductive for the business I run. When I feel compassion fatigue, I need to step back because then I'm not serving at my highest level, if that makes sense. So I did this audit of what is the part in my business that lights me up the most and what are the things that I can reduce. So in other words, I did the exact same thing like the game, the color orange. I sharpened my focus on the one thing that I really want. And that is a retreat for me. I absolutely love the retreats. I see the deep transformation that happens. I see the effect it has on people when we do the fire ceremony. It's a very, very confronting exercise that I do around a fire, yet it is such a shift that it creates in people. Even just talking about it, I've got goosebumps all the way down my body. It's incredible. Like it's just what happens there is just so beautiful. And that's where I can serve people at my highest level. That's where I am fully present. That's where I'm in it with all my heart. I have got so much passion and compassion for people when I sit with them and have that in-person contact and I can feel their energy. I can feel their pain. I can feel what the solutions are for them. So I can guide them because they need to find these solutions. I can only shine the light. And I love that. I love shining the light for people. I love holding space for them. I, I, my heart is overflowing when I'm there. So I decided to focus on that alone. And then during the year, maybe do a bit of speaking gigs. I, I love speaking, as you can tell. I love speaking with people, connecting with people in podcasts or be it on stage. That's what I'm going to do to sprinkle a little bit more of love over the year, but I'm going to be doing the two to three retreats a year and that's it. Wow. Yeah. Compassion fatigue. Tell me about that. Yeah. I noticed compassion fatigue happened for me when I was so passionate about what I did and you're constantly holding space for people. You're constantly sharing them with compassion for where they're at. Yet when you don't pay enough attention to yourself and you don't take breaks in between, you end up empty and there's nothing left. And that's what happened to me in the burnout. That's when I realized, okay, I've given too much. I've opened myself to up too much. I've, I wasn't clear on my boundaries. This to me is an ongoing learning by doing. I really had to learn to set boundaries. And I found that a lot easier in my previous business when it was just, I put that under quotation, my just mindset coaching. Yet when you, add that into the space of grief and you've experienced it yourself, there's deep compassion for people who are going through that. And that makes it really tricky to set clear boundaries. I'm going to share one example. I'm not going to mention names, but I had a lady call me yesterday, literally 15 minutes before I had my meeting with my mentor where I made that decision. And I was so puzzled because on the other end, there was a lady in tears but not in tears as in upset or sad or grieving. She was in absolute panic. It was sheer fear on the other end. And I did not know how to set my boundary. I could not go out. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't have time for that. I knew the minute I had picked up the phone, the connection was there and I had to hold space for her. I knew that it was easy for me to turn this around for her. 
I knew that I could do it, yet I set the expectation in the way that I said, she's like, I probably rang you at the wrong time. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, you know what? I've got 15 minutes and then I need to be in a meeting. But these 15 minutes I can give you. And it was a decision made there and then. Yet here's the thing with the boundaries. There are over three and a half thousand people in a group right now. So can you see how important it is to, to set this boundary? Because imagine I allow that for every one of those that just quickly take this call, just quickly do this, just quickly. I offer connection calls with a lot of people. Some people start to misinterpret them as free coaching calls, which they are not. This is a connection call to see where you're at. How can we help you both? How can we help you best? How can we stop this pain? I redirect them in those calls. That might be sometimes to other people. It might be sometimes to me. That might be sometimes to something that I recommend to watch, whatever that is. But I redirect them to find a way out of their pain. I don't do free coaching in those calls. Sometimes a little bit of that slips in as well. No questions asked. But yeah, there needs to be clearer boundaries. That's something that I need to work on. And that's really tricky when it comes to compassion, but even more so important. So when you don't watch those boundaries, then you get something where it's compassion fatigue. You get burned out. You have given too much compassion and not enough to yourself. So it's called self-love. Fill your own tank. Put your oxygen mask on first before you can help other people. And that really brought me to the point where I'm like, I need to make a decision because three burnouts in three years is a lot. And I need to sharpen my focus on the things that really light me up where I can make the biggest difference. And that is the beautiful balance between the retreats and the speaking. And yeah, that's where I reach most of the people with less of my time, if that makes sense. So I needed to multiply the impact that I'm having because I want people to heal. I want people to get that compassion, that space where they are held. And I found different ways of offering that for more people with less of my energy required. And that was really important for my own lifestyle harmony, I want to call it. It's interesting. My son has got, he calls it the emotional spoons theory. He said, we've all, all only got so many spoons of emotion. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. we're giving a spoon out to somebody because they're upset yeah. or sad or whatever, he mm. said, that's one spoon left for us. Because I was, yeah. uh, same thing. I, I've got four kids and although they've mm. grown up, you're still dealing with all that. We've got stuff going on with yeah. the developments that my husband does. And then I do the podcast and then I've got other mm. stuff as well. And you get burnout because you are pulled in mm. all these directions. And my son yeah. said, yeah, the emotional spoons, mum, you've run out of spoons. Yeah. You need to stop <laughs> and fill up your spoons again. And then yeah. you can start giving them out some more. Because yeah. I struggle with the idea I don't struggle with the idea of boundaries, but I think I think it's something that I had to ease into the word boundary because I do want to be there all the time for my kids and my yeah. husband. But okay, boundaries. But it's okay, I've got no spoons left. I love that everybody gets it, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, just it just makes yeah. life easier. We'd yeah. better start winding up. Thank you so much. So just tell Thank me quickly you. how people can get in touch with you. Yeah. I think the best way is always the website, mariealessi.com. And uh, that's where they find more info about the retreat. That's where they can book a chat with me. That's where they can watch beautiful podcasts like this one, etc. That My TEDx talk is on there as well and quite a few other things. And you can also join the group from there. So that's the easiest way. Will you still be keeping the group going? 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so lucky that I'm not alone in this group. I have a lot of people that support me in holding space in this group. And I've also got a very capable team of moderators. So they call themselves so nicely the Mod Squad. I've got an online business manager now. So there's a lot of people that help me in that. So it's I'm not doing this on my own. So that really helps. Wow. Thank you yeah. so much, Marie. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you again. Thank you so much for having me again. I really love this. This was very confronting and beautiful. I'm glad we talked about this. Yeah. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends, please. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some great ideas that can make a difference in your everyday life. Until next time.